Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Elliott. Very excited today. We have a special guest that's coming all the way from Chicago, correct? That's it. I love it. Cool. Windy City. Yeah, yeah. So um, today we're going to be talking about, you know, financial planning and really setting it up for success to be able to crush it in real estate investing. Um, You know, a lot of people get the mindset that you need money first to get started into real estate. We're definitely going to talk about, you know, first off, you need to find that deal before you can raise the money. You don't need the deal first. Or you do need the deal first. You don't necessarily need the money. But when you do find the money, there's so many different ways that you can really compound it and be able to leverage your money and make it work hard for you. So today we have a special guest. Mark, what's going on? How are you? Loving life. How are you? I'm doing well. I love how you're loving life. (laughs) So for anybody out there that doesn't know exactly who you are, do you mind just diving into it and telling them a little bit who you are, where you come from, and what you're doing today to help other people out there? Yeah. Well, we, um, so my wife and I uh, met in college. We went through uh, three private school degrees and graduated from uh, our university with six figures in student loan debt at the very beginning of the 2008 crisis with no job and no plan to pay off the debt. So how's that for a way to start out life, right? Yeah. I felt like I kind of married two women, like my beautiful bride, and then also Sally May. Felt like she was coming along for the ride, whether we wanted her or not, right? Yeah. Uh, so we had, you know, uh, really dismal prospe- prospects of getting out of all that debt, but it was uh, a, a wonderful journey. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And the things that we learned in terms of helping ourselves out of that problem and actually becoming better than debt-free along the way uh, is what we do now as, uh, as I own Lake Growth Financial Services. It's a financial services firm in Chicago. We work with folks all across the country. Uh, and our aim is to work with individuals and business owners who want to take control of their money, have it work for them in more than one way at a time, and become their own source of financing. I love it. So break down, how, how long have you been doing this now? Yeah, we started in 2008 when we graduated college. And I started working for a CPA firm at the time. And Brandon, it was the wildest thing. I felt like I was just getting super psyched about my own personal finances, like getting on a budget, paying off our massive student loan debt, six figures, right? With like a $900 a month payment for us at the time, that was a big, big deal. And, you know, we had had, uh, this inkling that we wanted to get into finance uh, and help people with it. But I started working for a CPA, helping with tax returns and helping put together their, their paperwork. And it was in the middle of this massive downturn and it sort of felt like I was being, you know, coming out of kind of my initial training as a financial associate and dropped right into the front lines of a war that was going on. And I was listening to our CPA, the, the nationally recognized, very well esteemed CPA who was handling people's investments and so forth, uh, have to call their, her clients, many of whom were like 61, 62 years old, 
and say to them, I'm sorry, Mr. Client, but I just lost you half of your life savings. Uh, you're not going to be able to retire like we thought you could. You know, wow. good luck. <laughs> I mean, that to me was a punch in the gut, and I wasn't even the one making the phone call. It felt like I was in, getting ready to get into a career that was basically a big house of cards. Yeah. That could down at any time. I mean, can you imagine if you were working with hundreds of clients, and then all of a sudden you just ruined their lives? I mean, talk about, you know, uh, you, that's why there was such fear and people quitting their jobs and, you know, why I think more financial advisors have left uh, their their career in the last 10 years than ever before. Um, and there's a real shortage of financial planners out there. So anyway, um, went through that process, uh, found some strategies that I think build real wealth, not just paper wealth, like what you might get on Wall Street, but build real wealth for our clients and for my own personal financial life. And that's really what caused us to say, you know what, we need to get the word out. We need to help folks think sanely, think different about their money and their economy and their future. So we, yeah, we started Lake Growth Financial Services uh, around 2012, and we started that process in the midst of the recession's recovery. And we've been having a ton of fun ever since. Uh, wouldn't trade it for the world. It's been remarkable to watch the stories of people, you know, take control of their finances, my own personal life. We, you know, got rid of all the debt, but better than that, we earned wealth as we paid off the debt at the same time, uh, which really got us, you know, psyched about doing other forms of investing uh, and uh, helping our clients do the same. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that's most likely a very difficult phone call to actually get on and, and tell your clients, you know, I just messed up your whole, your whole uh, future plans right there. Yeah. Yeah. How many people can have that much influence over someone's life? You know, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's a delicate and very important and a sacred trust, the kind of work that you do with your financial advisor. And if your financial advisor is, is putting you into things that you don't understand or you don't believe in yeah. or is not, is not there when you go to look for it, can we really even call it a plan? <laughs> I mean, is Wall Street even offering us a financial plan? Mm. There's nothing guaranteed about yeah. Wall Street, right? Just like there's nothing guaranteed about most of the places we park our money these days, except that the people selling you that stock or that real estate is going to get a commitment. That's the only guarantee, right? That they're going to get paid. It's what, so true. Whatever happens to your investment, right? So you pretty much just getting started out of college and at, at this point, you know, you're trying to get onto a, a new path and really start your career. And it's kind of, you know, it feels like you're going one step forward, three steps back, I'm sure, at this mm -hmm. point. Um, you know, after, after leaving that company, how did you actually come up with some strategies to really make your money work hard for you? and yeah and some of your, you know, other customers that, that you're taking care of, your clients? Yeah, we were plowing the majority of our earned money toward our student loans, you know, okay. literally eating beans and rice. Yeah. And on Friday nights, we'd eat rice and beans just to spice it up, you know? Spice it up, uh, throw it around, yeah. <laughs> we were making these big life decisions like not having kids and not, you know, buying a, a real estate or investing in any way because we had all this debt from our school loans. And I mean, mm -hmm. now uh, the problem is only 10 times as bad. You know, um, we've got student loan ballooning from even where we grad from when we graduated. Right. Uh, so, you know, this is all following the common financial advice, you know, buying term, investing the rest, paying down your debts. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of good that comes from, from those, you know, truisms, Brandon, I don't want to overstate the fact. I mean, we did pay down a lot of our debt. We got about half of it paid off. And then wow. we realized something we realized 
Uh, and actually it was with the help of some good friends and a former professor of mine from college. He, he came to visit us in Chicago and he, he sat down and he kind of shared with us a bit about this word called opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. Um, for your listeners who might not be aware, opportunity cost is the, uh, is the lost opportunity to do anything else with a dollar once you've made a decision to do one thing with that dollar. To say that another way, if you have 10,000 bucks in a savings account and you throw it at a car to buy a used car or something, yep. that is now no longer earning interest for you. And now the real cost of your car is not $10,000. It was whatever $10,000 might have grown to had you not bought the car and invested it instead. Yeah. And that is the power and problem, actually, of opportunity cost. It's so true. And opportunity cost is something that, you know, I feel like not enough people out there are actually taking into consideration because, just like you said, you could turn that $10,000 into what, 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, yeah. 100,000. Um, and, uh, and, not enough people are taking that into consideration, but buying that, those not income producing mm-hmm. liabilities more or less. And, and for those on Facebook, I want to share something with you guys visually, and I'll try to describe it for those listening, if that's okay. Yeah, please. Okay. So I'm going to see if I can share this without breaking the internet here. Can you guys see this um, yeah. screen there? Okay, so this was sort of the way most people think about, and myself included, think about making big purchases you know, along this line here is kind of your timeline of your life. And also it represents net zero where we owe nobody anything, but we also don't own anything either. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. So imagine if you're not seeing this visually, imagine a horizontal line across the middle of a page. Net zero is kind of that line. Yeah. Now say that we need to buy a piece of real estate or we need to, you know, get into uh, buy a car. I mean, that's an easy one and we have nothing saved. Brandon, if you'll kind of follow along with me on this. Yeah. Um, what do you do if you don't have anything saved, but you need to get that car this afternoon? How do you get that car this afternoon? You got a loan. Got to take out a loan. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So now we are now below net zero. Now representing that is a line going straight down from net zero. And then what happens? Usually 30 days later, the bank sends, sends us a note saying, hey, pay us back. Right, so we have to start climbing and clawing and scratching our way back up to net zero, or just break even with where we were, say, four or five years ago. But yeah. we're not really back to even, are we? No. Right, because we lost four or five years of growth plus all the interest that went to the bank down the street. Right. Yeah. So true. If we miss a few payments, what happens? They start repoing <laughs> our car and <laughs> all that. But now we've got a five or six-year-old car. We've got some kids in the back seat that want a bigger backseat and you know, now it's time to get a new car, right? Or another mortgage or upgrade. Um, And this cycle just repeats itself over and over and over again. Most people live their entire lives. Brandon, the, my anecdotal research was kind of backed up recently by the U S commerce bureau. They said that the average American spends 34% of his income on interest payments. (sighs) Isn't that outrageous? Bonkers. Yeah. yeah. 34. That's a third of, if time is money, that's a third of our day, right? A third of our day going to a bank. That's just, that's just bananas crazy. So most people think that they can do better than this by saving, right? So we're going to live within our means. We're going to climb up the savers staircase. So now if you're listening to this, you know, that's kind of climbing up from net zero step by step, month over month, packing away into a savings account. And then you know, once we get to 30 grand or whatever for the car, 
we, what do we do? We withdraw that money out of the savings account, pay cash for the car. We feel good about it. But as you said, Brandon, there's no more growth on that dollar once we've bought the car or the real estate or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, and if it's in anything else, like a real estate investment, we have no guarantee that that home value will be worth tomorrow what we paid for it today. And we broke that compounding growth so we can only start earning interest slowly as we put money back into that savings account to save up for the next car or the next car. So this, this uh, staircase looks kind of familiar, right? The debt staircase and the saver staircase almost look like mirror images of each other. Yeah. And what I, what I discovered and one of the strategies that really helped me and my wife get out of our student debt was, well, you know, what if there was a better way to somehow overcome this problem of always going over again, the problem of opportunity cost. And, you know, what if you could like somehow lift off of zero and use your own source of financing, uh, your own money as a source of financing, like a bank? What if you could become your own banker and pay cash for stuff, right? At the, at the car dealer or at the, you know, pay cash at closing for your real estate deal. But what if you could continue to grow your money even when you liquidated it to buy things? And that was the way we paid off the rest of our student loans was this exact strategy. I love it. So explain this strategy and what is it called? How, how can people actually get, um, you know, do the same strategy for themselves? Yeah. Well, the, the best thing I can say, Brandon, is, you know, it's not for everybody. I don't recommend just everyone jump into this without looking at it with, with clear eyes. Sure. Uh, you know, it was it was a it was an eye-opening experience for me just to even think of myself like a banker yeah. to myself. You know, like most of the time as real estate investors, we're looking at things as how much can we beg the bank to get. You know, how much how big a line of credit can we have? Uh, when in reality, they're the ones that need us, right? Uh, without the borrower, there is no profit to the bank, and sure. there's a reason why you know, they pay us 0.01% interest on our deposits when we give money to a bank in the form of a deposit, but they charge us 10% interest or whatever when we borrow from that same bank. Uh, that's how the bank makes money. I mean, literally, if, if you could control the environment where your money lives and be the banker, you would win against uh, all other odds. It's like, it's like the difference of an airplane flying into a headwind you know, and having a difficult time even making its way across the country because there's such, you know, fierce headwinds and turning the plane around to go with the wind, to go with the current, to go with the, you know, the environment and to fly at double speeds, right? So if your financial vehicle is aligned with the financial environment where your money lives, you'll win every time. If every other American is spending 34% of his money or her money on debt, but you've got the capacity to be your own banker, pay yourself 30% interest, 30% of your income to yourself. Wow. You'll beat every other real estate investor. You'll beat every other mutual fund out there and we'll be writing books about you one, one day. So how does it work? Right. Um, so okay. this, this strategy, what you're talking about, it is considered uh, a universal uh, life insurance, correct? Yeah. There's a, there's a, a modernized form of dividend paying whole life insurance. Oh, life. Yeah. Uh, so, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like where a lot of folks are like, wow, I've, you know, life insurance of all things, right? Uh, why would we be talking about life insurance as a place to park our money in between our deals to be our own banker? Um, and that was kind of my feeling when I first heard about this, my mind shut off because I was taught the kind of traditional um, financial plan of, you know, buy term, 
insurance and invest the rest in the stock market. Uh, but this type of whole life insurance, and it's got to be whole life or it doesn't work. Uh, we can get into why if you want. But the whole life insurance contract uh, is not the kind that our parents had. It's usually been modernized with traditional, like with, with um, specific writers called paid up editions writers that just flood the policy with equity or cash value. This is the money that we can spend in the very first year, not just for our cars or whatever, but for our real estate deals too. Uh, so, you know, you pump money into the policy, you're overfunding it. You know, again, it's a mindset shift since most people think how little insurance can I get away with? How little can I spend on it? If you can change your mindset and think how much can I pack into this thing? It just becomes this big pool of contingency capital that you can use for your real estate opportunities or for life's emergencies for that matter. I love um, it. So yeah. overall, just to, um, you know, let the listeners know out there and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but basically this whole life is basically a life insurance policy that you fund on a monthly basis or annual basis. And over, you know, a period of time, uh, typically within a few years, you can actually start pulling out of it as if, you know, you're borrowing the money from yourself, but the money still acts like it's in there, still compounding interest over time. You got it, man. Yeah, exactly. So you know, every time we make a purchase, we lose that growth on the money. We've talked about the opportunity cost. This is the one uh, spot in the financial universe out of 400 plus financial vehicles that I studied when I became a certified financial planner. This is the only one that I've been able to find that lets our money do more than one thing at, at the same time. Mm. So um, that's powerful in and of itself. Yeah. But, you know, even before we get to that, I mean, the, the inherent nature of life insurance, Brandon, is kind of interesting. I mean, Three, three or four things really off the top of my head. The, the policy on a guaranteed basis will have more cash this year than last year. Guaranteed every single year, no matter what's going on in the real estate market or the stock market. Uh, to and, that's, and that's because it, it's yeah. kind of like capped out, right? It's not going to, uh, it won't go under zero, correct? Correct. Yeah, this thing is always consistently going up every single year. Uh, it's never going to beat the best year of the stock market. You know, it's always doing a, a fairly easy middle middle to high single digit returns after tax is in the ballpark of what these things have done over the last 60 years. And there's a bunch of kind of like different policies or I guess different companies that um, that have that range, right? Like certain ones might be capped out at 20% or other ones maybe 10 or 15%. Yeah. So with whole life insurance, it's built on the profitability of the mutual company that the policy owners share in the profits of. Yeah. So if the insurance company is profitable, they throw more on top of that guarantee. So the guarantee is there. You'll have more cash this year than last year. And then every year for the last hundred years, if it's a mutual life insurance company offering a whole life contract, they'll mm -hmm. throw dividends you know, kind of a return of your excess premium, they'll throw dividends on top of that guarantee as additional profits to, to you and me, the owners of the company. We're literally, uh, in essence, we're owners of the company we have our policy with. Uh, but that's going on over here at the same time that we might be using our money in our real estate deals uh, for fix and flip or for, uh, you know, taking a loan to pay cash for the deal or whatever yeah. you might choose to do. Yeah, I love that. Cool. So yeah. you said, it has to be life or whole life insurance, correct? Right. Yeah. The, there's some, there's some really important differences yeah. uh, between various forms of permanent life insurance. Do you mind going into that just for a moment? Sure. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah. So, you know, most people, at least me, when I first heard about this, my thought was term insurance, right? So term insurance is the money, is the insurance that we rent, but we don't own. We don't have any equity ownership in that policy. We're just renting it and hoping we never have to use it. (laughs) You know, it's like renting an apartment and hope you never have to live there. Um, So, you know, uh, with uh, whole life insurance, and other permanent policies like universal life or variable universal life, there's a cash value, an equity ownership, you might say, in the policy itself. So you get your death benefit for your family or charity, but yep. then the equity is what we're really focused on. We really, actually, the way we design it, we squeeze the death benefit down as hard as we can since that's where the expenses and the commissions go. Mm. Uh, and traditional whole life and universal life are really built for the commissions, not so much for your cash value. Yeah. So, you know, as a, as a financial advisor, looking out for the best interest of clients as a fiduciary, you know, pushing that money uh, commission down allows more money to flood into our clients' um, cash values. So um, to kind of differentiate quickly between the various kinds of permanent cash value life insurance, yeah. why it matters for real estate investors, you know, universal life is really hot right now. Indexed universal life is really hot right now where you can get, you know, 5, 10, 12% when the market is up and then 0% when the market is down. Sounds amazing, right? Yeah, it does. Who wouldn't want that? I want that. The trouble is, and the sneaky part is, and why there's so many lawsuits actually on indexed universal life happening as we speak, uh, some in California where you are there, yeah. um, is every year no matter what the index or the stock market is doing every year hidden inside that that policy that universal life policy that thing is getting more expensive it's actually annual renewable term insurance is the fancy word mm. what it means is every year we have a birthday that policy costs us a bit more and if we don't pay more for that policy every year for the rest of our life eventually it starts to gobble up the cash until it uh, eviscerates the cash value completely and the policy lapses on itself and causes a taxable gain, uh, meaning the, the policy blows up. Uh, and that's why there's been a number of um, lawsuits, actually, yeah. to insurance companies. So I'm, I'm uh, expressly not a fan of universal life. I thought it would be super cool. I really wanted it to work when I first heard about it. Uh, but it absolutely should not be implemented as if it's being used for the banking strategy. Now, there's other reasons you might do universal life. Of course. Again, you know, every financial vehicle has a purpose, right? Yeah. Okay. But besides that, I mean, obviously, whole life, it doesn't have those those additional fees every year kind of right. climbing up. Correct. Yeah. And most importantly, only whole life insurance lets you grow your money even while you're using it. Yeah. Uh, the fancy term is non-direct recognition loans. And if you'd like, I can actually show your uh, viewing audience an example of this in action. If Please. you don't, uh, if, if that would be helpful. Okay. Yeah. I'll try to- I've seen it in the past and it's actually, it's, it's oh, like very eye opening. Awesome, man. Awesome. Cool. Let me see if I can pull this up on again on our screens and thank you guys for bearing with me here. Okay. So what we're looking at here without getting too technical, too detailed, are a few really interesting things. Let's see if I can draw on this for a second here. So we've got, um, can I do this? Where? Yeah, okay. So up here, you see a gentleman who's 45 years old putting in 32,000 bucks a year into life insurance. Now why, who in the world convinced this poor guy to put in $32,000 somewhere, right? Yeah. Much less life policy of all things. You know, someone should wake this guy up and put this money back in the stock market, right? 
Uh, well, all right. So the, the important columns to pay attention to, his cash value in year one was $29,000. That's yep. not bad. That'd be a nice down payment for a property maybe or paying some of your property taxes. Um, but as you look down the page and after 10 years, he's got almost $400,000 in cash value and his death benefits 2.1 million bucks. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's a good return on, on itself, but you know, let's make it even in, more interesting. After the 10th year, this guy stops putting any money into the policy, zero dollars yep. win. And keep an eye on his dividends in years 11 through 15. Looks like it's like 9,000, 10,000, 11,000 bucks a year in years 11 through 15. Mm -hmm. And at the, at the end of that period, so there's the dividends there. And after that 15 year period, he has $515,000 of cash value up from 400,000 in year 10. Okay. Right. So um, before we move on, do you have any questions or want to clarify no. anything? Brandon? No, okay. no, that's great. All right. So now, uh, same exact guy, same exact example, but now in year 11, he finds a real estate deal he wants to pay cash for. He wants to be the bank and go pay cash for that property. He could pull it from a savings account, pull his 350 from a savings account, or yeah. he could use money lenders and pay interest to those, those guys. Yeah. Or he could be his own banker. Okay. That's right. Right. So let's Powerful. take 300. Come on. Uh, let's take $350,000 from your policy, not pay the loan off. All right. So there's no required repayment plan mm. when you borrow from one of these policies. You can let that money sit in the policy. The policy, as you can see here, his 400 grand in cash value roughly uh, is netted by the loan, but he still has 50 grand, 55, 60 grand growing for him yeah. after he takes the loan out. And most importantly, Check out those dividends. Same exact Same. dividends we had before, right? Yeah. So that is the non-direct recognition loan happening in action. So, so let me ask, how, how does the annual dividend still say the same? Yeah, the insurance company doesn't recognize, get it, yeah. non-direct recognition. They don't recognize that you took a loan. I love They're going to pay the whole dividend whether you borrow the money out or not. And there's no, there's no like set, I guess, structure on you paying back the loan. Obviously, that will affect the long term as far as your, your death benefits. Um, Correct. No yeah, bonus. you got it, man. Yeah, the insurance company knows they're going to be paid back. Either you'll pay them back during your lifetime, which is the next slide if you want to see that, or the death benefit is reduced by the loan that you right. took out. Okay. So in, in the previous page, the death benefit in year 11 was $1.17 million. And year 11, with the loan, it was 1.17 minus the $350,000 loan. I love it. There. Yep. So, so I would like to see that next slide. But first, I guess a question that pops up naturally. Um, for somebody that's first getting started, you know, uh, with a policy like this, as time goes on and, and they might start off smaller with a policy of only a million dollars, but as they grow their, their empire and their business, and, yeah. uh, and decide that, you know, they would really like to, with the death benefits, they would like a lot higher to pay off all their mortgages and, and leave, leave to their family. Um, you know, how would you be able to adjust that easily? Or is that a whole new policy that you would have to actually take out? Yeah, so it should be, I guess I'll just send, mention that this was designed only after we had a comprehensive discussion with this person about the overall objective of his financial life, yeah. what he could contribute 
you know, monthly or annually. For yeah. Sure. All of these numbers are proportional. So, you know, feel free to adjust up or down to your own circumstance for sure. Okay. Now some, somebody that's like working at Starbucks now though, in comparison to yeah. running, you know, a, a seven figure business, um, in the future, they would easily be able to adjust that. Yeah. Think about it this way. You know, maybe you still have to use uh, a traditional bank to buy your first real estate deal, mm -hmm. but maybe on the side, you set one of these up, one of these policies at a modest level, that was a good challenge or comfort for you. Uh, but that you knew uh, would be valuable for you to pay your, for example, uh, your property taxes on your yeah. rental. Or maybe we don't pay cash for a full house like this guy did, but maybe you use it to pay for your HOA specials that mm -hmm. if you're buying condos or whatever, or, you know, if you, you can think of maybe a dozen different smaller things, you know, let's keep some money in this policy for the next time the air conditioning blows. Yeah. Uh, that sort of thing. Okay. And you did mention, correct? Um, after the first year, you could potentially take out, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the yeah. guy, the guy in this example, put in thirty, a little over thirty-two thousand, and he can clearly take out a little over twenty-eight thousand or twenty-nine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. That money is liquid, available for anything if he needs that money, even in the first year, even in the first few months. Wow. That's yeah. that's pretty impressive. <laughs> now it does cost something, right? The insurance costs you know, three or four grand in the first year, right? Yeah. There was a negative loss in the first year, but this is a long-term financial warehouse. It's not a quick get rich overnight kind of strategy. For sure. Place to park the money in between your deals or even for your deals as this guy did. Okay. And I guess in, in this example, his minimum, uh, I guess, contract that he, he, he signed was that he would be putting, he would be contributing 32,000 annually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his his design was to fund it at thirty two thousand annually. He's only required to put in like fifteen hundred bucks a year. Okay, wow, that's so we're awesome. Funding this sucker, we're throwing extra capital in, just so that we can fund this thing to the max without running afoul of some of the tax guidelines of life insurance. So we squeeze yeah. this thing in at the cheapest amount possible, give folks the most cash they can possibly get. Now, will everyone have exactly these numbers? No. Uh, you know, every person is going to be a little different, your age, your health, you know, right. uh, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I yep. love it. So, so that, where do you go from here? I mean, after you, after you set something up like this, it definitely brings out a lot more opportunity for you to act like the bank and, yep. and not pay those high interest costs and, and be able to build up your portfolio uh, at a different rate, which is awesome. You bet, man. May I, uh, may I show you at the end of this guy's story? Because uh, it follows to that question. Yeah. So in this case, this guy throws uh, a loan of $350,000 and now in the same scenario, he decides he wants to pay it back. He wants to repay his loan over the next uh, five years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So again, remember the original cash value in year 15 was 515,000 bucks. Yeah. Right back to where we would have been had he never taken this loan out. So literally he's getting his money working two places at once. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's so wild. Yeah. So I, I kind of th thought we'd uh, kind of wrap up with this slide right here. Yeah. Which is, um, all right, so we got a choice, right? We have a choice with where our money uh, comes from when we buy our real estate deals. And if this is your first deal or your 50th deal, you can make a decision to choose where the dollars come from when you make your purchase. I love real estate investing. Uh, it's all about 
Um, but, but the decisions on how you pull money from various accounts, if you pulled your money from a brokerage account, it's going to stop growing when you bought that real estate deal. If you yeah. took it from you know, a 1031 exchange, we're no longer working on the first property. It's only growing in the new property, right? Yeah. Let's pretend that this guy's $350,000 house grows at, oh, you know, uh, let's just say, you know, 3% a year over the next five years. That's pretty mm -hmm. common. You know, I mean, maybe if you fix and flip it, it would grow faster, but force appreciation, maybe it grows faster. But Case Schiller, let's say about 3% over the next five years. So that's his money would grow from 350000 to four hundred and five grand. Yep. If he's paying cash for this real estate deal, if he didn't have a policy, he'd have no loan interest and there'd be no policy growth since he's just pulling it from a savings account, right? Correct. So his total ROI is 3%. Total growth on his money went from $350,000 in the house and then five years later, the house grew to 405 grand. So he had yeah. 55 grand of growth. Does that make sense so far, Brandon? It does, yeah. Next, and finally, if you use what we uh, call the bank on yourself method, uh, we use a bank on yourself type whole life policy. The property that you purchase will grow irregardless of how you buy it, right? Yeah. I mean, even if you use a regular mortgage, the house is going to grow in the neighborhood with comparables, right? So it grows to 405 over the five-year period. There is a loan interest rate. I don't know if you caught that on the previous slide, but there was a loan interest rate and it works out to about 2.1% total APR, which is not bad when okay. we're talking about financing our, our, our money, right? Yeah. But that's not good. That's, he paid a total of $38,000 of loan interest to this life insurance company. Uh, why in the heck did he do that? You know, couldn't he have just paid cash, right? Well, the policy itself grew almost $120,000, Brandon, over itself. the last period. Yeah. Yeah. And he had the appreciation on the home. Yeah. So that's a total ROI of not 3%, but 10%. And a total income of, a total appreciation in his net worth of 175000 bucks. Yeah. So show me a better way to buy real estate and I'll do that. But this is an incredible opportunity for folks that are just wanting to get an additional yield with no additional market risk. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's tremendous. Um, I, I definitely, I do recommend this. I think this is, you know, everybody's uh, situation is a little bit different. So I definitely recommend yep. sitting down with a financial advisor and, and uh, getting a better understanding of where you're currently sitting with your finances, uh, what your budget's looking like and what your future plans are overall. But, um, yeah, I, I think this is a very solid way to, you know, be able to build up your portfolio, build up your, you know, make your money work hard for you, but also be able to take out the money as a loan for yourself at outrageous, you know, very, very small fee behind it and still making it work hard for you as yeah. if it never even taken out, which is awesome. Us uh, in, in the real estate world, we love arbitrage. This is yeah. an example of arbitrage. Uh, and you know, there's no, where, where's the risk, right? The insurance company is guaranteeing you this cash increase. Dividends are variable. So I guess that could go up or down with overall prevailing interest rates, but even those don't fluctuate wildly. Uh, so we're getting a consistent arbitrage on our money. If we're being a good, honest banker with our policy, uh, and the real estate. So it's not an either or, in my opinion. Um, For sure. And I totally agree with you, Brandon. Don't do this just because you heard a podcast. Yeah. Tell you to. <laughs> And yeah. uh, we, don't even, we don't even know if this would be a good fit for you or what your overall objectives are. But man, who wouldn't benefit as an investor uh, to have a big pool of cash to use for whatever you needed? You know, your marketing, your, your 
you know, your ancillary expenses, your property tax, or heck, even the down payment or full cash purchase of the, of the real estate you might buy. Now, let me ask, uh, as far as risk does go, now, can some of these companies uh, that are offering this whole life policy, can they change up over time, even your current policy? Mm, good question. Yeah. Who else besides us controls this environment, right? Yeah. Again, where your money lives makes it act different. If my money is with a universal life contract, for example, they can change my, uh, there's about two or three dozen things they have access to, levers they can pull, yeah. the credit rate, the, ex the insurance expense, you know, when they credit it, how, what the cap and the spread is. Too many variables for me to feel confident that I can use that for a pool of cash for my real estate deals. Um, with whole life insurance, there's really only one thing that the insurance company can change and that is the dividend that they pay yeah. you each year. Yeah. You're obligated to put in the required premium for that guy. It was a nominal fee, a nominal amount for the insurance company. They are on the hook uh, for the duration of this person's life. As long as the um, insured, the owner of the policy puts money into it, then the insurance company must give those uh, contract promises, you know, the gr growth of the money. Um, so they cannot change anything. It's what's known as a unilateral contract, Brandon. Okay. And that means once it's set and it was written by the insurance company, they're going to have a hard time weaseling out of it uh, yeah. once, they, once they set it up. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I like that. Cool. So how can people get a hold of you in regards to this? Because I know obviously you just took all the time to educate people on this process. And I'm sure there's a bunch of listeners out there that are curious you know, how they could potentially implement this within their finances, within their life and, you know, make their money work even harder for them. Thanks. Yeah. There, there's a ton of misinformation out there too on the internet as, as anyone who has done any kind of research with anything can definitely find. So true. This, this works. It's working for hundreds of our clients around the country. Uh, roughly half of our clients are involved in real estate investing of all manners and all sorts. Uh, if you guys want to learn more, um, go to our uh, podcast. Our podcast name is Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Mm. And, uh, we have a couple of specific episodes on exactly these strategies. I think it's episode 41 and 42, where we talk to a bank on, uh, folks that are using Bank on Yourself, this concept, and our real estate investors. We interview a few of them, and we also go into further detail on this strategy on, on our show, Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Uh, so that's one way to look it up if you want to learn more. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, thanks. The, the, really the best way to go is to go to not your average financial podcast.com. Yeah. And if you click on the button there, it says request a meeting. We'll set up a 15 minute call uh, to learn more about your situation. If this is something you want to do or learn more about, or just see if it's a good fit or not. And regardless, um, you know, if, whether it's, is a good fit or not, I'd be happy to send you a free copy of our best-selling book, uh, Compliments of Brandon. Just, oh, make sure write, just make sure to write Brandon's name or uh, the Ready, Set, Go uh, Real Estate Investing podcast in your notes as you're filling out the uh, calendar form. Yeah, I love that. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you, brother. Um, I, I think this was an awesome episode really to educate people and figure out how they could really make their money work even harder for them and be able to crush it in real estate a lot sooner, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, where is it written that we have to put all of our money into uh, the Wall Street casino yeah. or only have our money doing one thing at a time for us? 
I mean, if we can multiply the jobs our dollars do, the, the faster we reach our financial goals and uh, fire our banker. Of course. And I mean, a lot of people out there, including myself, um, take advantage of private money, mm-hmm. loans, as far as, you know, friends, family, neighbors, you know, anybody um, yeah. out of an IRA account at, you know, good rates, but, but at the same time, not as good as what, 2.1. Uh, yeah. yeah. So at, at the end of yeah. the day, and with that being said, having the money as still in the account working hard for you as if you didn't even take it. Yeah, come on. Now we're talking. And it's all tax-free, available, accessible money in retirement, whereas the IRA might only be taxable income. Or if it's a Roth IRA, there's some significant restrictions on what we can use it for. Like this guy could have used that 350 grand to fix up his own house, you know, yeah. as well as other investment property. So uh, true. So so with you on that. And uh, yeah, let, let's do this again sometime, man. There's so much more. I mean, this is just one of the tiny little things that we do with our firm and uh, help our real estate clients look through. Uh, so yeah, happy to, to have the conversation today and let's do it again sometime. Yeah, I appreciate you, Mark. All right, cool. Well, all the listeners out there, I'm sure you guys found a ton of value in this. As always, if you did, make sure that you, first off, reach out to Mark. Um, you know, he, he just dove into a bunch of content, but he really only gave you a little teaser. So you're definitely going to want to schedule that appointment with him, grab that free copy of that book that he's offering and, um, and really be educated on how you can move forward and be able to make your money work harder for you. Uh, along with having a, a life, a death policy, just in case to really protect your family, which is tremendous. So as always, if you found value in this, reach out to him and, get on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on there. That would mean the world to me. If you do that, I will make sure to send you a copy of my book, Absolutely Free, Action Driven. I could send that to you. Just make sure you send a screenshot of subscribing and leaving a review. Send that over to me on social media. You can reach me at on Instagram, uh, Brandon Elliott Investments, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash uh, Brandon Elliott REI or on the website, Brandon Elliott till next time, guys. Thank you all so much for jumping in here and, and getting educated, motivated and prepared to take action in real estate. Mark, appreciate you brother. Thank you so much. Yeah. Likewise. Stay blessed guys. This has been another episode of ready, set, go real estate investing podcast brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit Brandon Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining.